Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Towards Vivencia, the podcast. In this second season, Bridging the Gap. In this second season, we are bridging the gap between some of the top dance companies in the whole world and our community. Towards Vivencia will be collaborating with dancers who are or have been working with the greatest choreographers and companies of the 20th and 21st century. These incredible artists bring these incredible works and performances to life, and they have generously offered to share how they train in order to do so. Their personal approaches to the company's technical style, cross-training for both body and mind, and staying creatively inspired. All this and more will provide a unique insight into how these dancers work, how they work within these companies, and how they bridge the gap between their previous training and what is required to work with those companies. I'm really happy to have uh, today with us Michalis Theopanus. Probably have said it wrong, but I'm going to ask him in a second. We met uh, many years ago in Athens when I was the assistant director of Athena Bagla, and he was a student uh, still at uh, Kratiki. And then he was part of the piece that we were creating there. And I already fell in love with this with this guy. He's an amazing dancer, an amazing human being. And we just kind of like be, were in contact for a while, but then we lost track of each other. And a couple of years ago, three, four years ago, I saw him performing again in London uh, by the hand of Dimitris Papayoanus, first in a duet with uh, Dimitris himself, and then in a group piece that was performed at Sadler's Wells. So yes, we go a long way back and I was really excited to invite him to these classes because I know that he has a lot to say and uh, Dimitri's uh, work is also very very special so we wanted to bring him to help us to bridge the gap in between what are the what is the training that you get in schools in vocational schools and then the, the reality that you find with uh, professionals like Dimitris so before we go into that uh, thank you so much Michalis for agreeing to be with us today and for teaching the classes with us next week so really looking forward to see what you are about to do thank you for being with us thank you for having me good morning from my side from sunny Athens uh, yes, first of all, Jorge, it's true. We, we f first met and around 2008, 2009, around yes. there. So we we both facing that the years are passing really fast. You are super lucky that you still look the same. <laughs> I take it as a compliment. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe few less hairs on your head, but you still look gorgeous i think you fall in love with me because i was young and active it's not the same <laughs> 12 years later it's a different perspective from my side so yeah let's see <laughs> let me tell you why i fell in love with you uh, as a dancer it's, it's purely platonic and now that you're in athens it's, it's all about platon right uh no it's this guy if you don't know him He's tall, he's 184, uh, he's very, very strong with uh, broad shoulders, and I know that he's 184, so he, he's tall. So this is my first question. Why dance, uh, Michalis? What, what happened there that you decided, okay, I'm going to dance? Um, oh, such a cheesy question, but I will try to answer. Cheesy question, you said? Yeah, cheesy, cheesy. <laughs> my apologies. 
No, no, no it's all right. Really, I'm genuinely curious. When I decided to to do dance, I wasn't that tall, uh, so I wasn't really knew that I could grow that that much. Um, no, I, I started as a as a kid, but with more typical things. I mean, like uh, modern jazz, this kind of stuff, just to stay active. And probably my parents they wanted to send me away from home for a couple of more hours, so they put me in the dance school. Uh, but I was a professional basketball player for years. I used to play in a national team in Cyprus for years. But I had to decide between dance or basketball, and I choose dance. Don't ask me why. I still, I'm still wondering. I'm still looking the reason. I'm here. I'm surviving from that, and I'm enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I didn't have a, a, a person that I admire, and I say, ah, oh, I want to be like him or like when I grow up. No, it's not a kid's dream or whatever. It was. I was just there. But we're very grateful that that happened because I remember seeing you in the first piece that was called Splinter in the Cell with Athena Bagla and then a few years later with Dimitris and, and it's, it's a gift to see you on a stage. So let's go into that. What is for you to be on a stage? What is Because uh, we are talking a lot about performance presence and the experience of performing uh, and that, that's kind of like my research in, the, in that moment where you became one with dance being on a stage, what is the thing that you cherish the most? Uh, I love this kind of questions. So this one is not cheesy? No, 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 I love this one. Presence on stage or um, how to stand on stage. It was part of my research I did a couple of years ago in a, in a Emirates Master of Research in one, of the, in one university in London. Um, I I don't have a specific answer why I like to be on stage. Let's let's take it opposite. I mean, always before you ended up on stage, there is a process working, like workshops, uh, research, improvisations, rehearsals, as we say. And this part I prefer most than being on stage. Once you're on stage, uh, unlikely, I'm, 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 I don't want to confuse you, but I will go phrase, I will give some gaps, I will go in another paragraph, and I will fill up the gaps uh, going on. Um, unlikely that uh, small dance companies, they don't have the privilege to have more than two, three shows. And then they're waiting for the next tour if they have a next theater to perform for another one or two shows. Big companies, they're lucky enough or good enough to, to have a non-stop touring, so non-stop performing. Uh, coming back to your question, being on stage, I like most when having the privilege to perform more than two or three times the same show to explore myself on stage and improve that. I think uh, having a premiere is not the end of the process, but it's the beginning of it. 
you need to expose uh, an audience. You need to expose in open rehearsals. You need to watch yourself on video, as my friend Dimitris Papayan is saying right now. Uh, face yourself and find a way to not make your moves better, but feel comfortable watching yourself. So being on stage, um, I, I, I love it because I'm trying to keep myself busy, let's say, and active. Uh, I will never comfort that, okay, we did the premiere, we did a couple of shows, we got it, it's there. No, it's you need to always find a, a reason to go and do it again and uh, stepping a, a bit further than what you did the last time. So I would like to go a tiny bit deeper in that because uh, there is something that comes uh, over and over in my conversations. We have Ian Garside, which is with DB8, and talk, working with uh, Lloyd Newsom. He's talking about that repeating material and very similar. You know, the premiere is only the very first stage to carry on working on that piece. So can you tell us concrete things that you remember that you do or that you impose on yourself or that you... Uh, are asked by the director of your peers that helps you to keep that curiosity, to keep that improvement, to what is the next thing to make it better or fresher or, or, or keep developing? Okay. I will, I will take, a, again, as example, Dimitri, because it's the, it's the guy I'm working now and uh, hopefully we'll have the chance to premiere this piece that we were working for uh, even before the first lockdown. Uh, and finally, it's ready. Transverse orientation is the name. Check it. Um, so what I like and uh, I ask for, uh, Dimitris, for example, he always uh, gathers all the, all the performers, all the team, and we watch together the last run-through. And we keep notes through the last run-through. And the strong example I remember from still life it was a previous piece the last piece I, I was participating on we toured for two years one and a half two years even during the end of the tour we used to have corrections changes and even a run through before the performance that was really helpful for me i mean it it kept it it always finds a way to to Keep it bubbling. Keep it. Um, keep you awake, and not just comfort. That uh, you're never bored. I mean, you're not going in a city and you say, "I'm going to do it." I mean, you never know when Dimitris will arrive in the theater, and he will say, "Okay, let's change this scene." or change these cues. And cues for Dimitri's piece is by centimeters or by seconds. Or And it might fuck up your life. Oh, sorry, put a beep here. Uh, it can disorganize you or uh, brings everything together and be more concentrated than you thought it could be for the show, before the show. Usually, most of the performers, they, they want this one hour before the show to relax, chill, get ready, 
no. I mean, even with Bob Wilson, I remember we were doing last minute changes. I mean, literally 10 minutes before the doors open for the audience, we, we still used to rehearse for a scene because he didn't like it from the previous show, from the previous day, not the previous show. Uh, I like it. And whenever I work with dancers as a director, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting these techniques from these two guys and I want them, I want to use them for my own projects. I know people hate me for that, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I see that there is a better result through that. I, I fully agree. And there is something that I do also as a choreographer of those changes that somehow for me keeps the piece alive because the performer never repeats what it was. So it's not about a representation of what it was, represent. It's about presenting something that's happening for the very first time in front of the yeah, eyes I mean, of the even, even even the even the alphabet, if you try if you if you start saying the alphabet. There is thousands of ways that you can say differently every each time. So without without losing the meaning, without losing the it's, it's the alphabet. It's A B C D, but you can find five or ten different ways to say A B C D, and still be the same thing. Totally. Um, so I would like to work uh, to go a tiny bit deeper into that uh, work with Bob Wilson and Dimitris Papayoannis, uh, because if I remember correctly, you start working with those kind of uh, referent uh, legends uh, very early on in your career. What were the gaps that you found in your training? Things that uh, no, in your school, in your vocational training, you didn't touch upon that it was like, fuck, I'm not going to put a beep on that. How do I tackle this, I don't know how to do it, and you need to work your way through being mentored. Uh, what was the major ones? Yes. Uh, first of all, they're both, uh, both they're working in a very different way. Uh, Dimitris is more, let's say, I don't want to put a title under it, but it's more physical theater. And the uh, the final piece, the final piece, it comes through uh, months of workshops and improvisations. Uh, Bob, from the other side, it comes, he visualizes the whole piece in his head and comes with sketches and he say, I want this, this, and that. Uh, so let's take Bob. First, Bob, my first collaboration was 2015. I was lucky enough. He saw me in a in Primal Matter, the duo I, I performed with Dimitris. He saw me in Moscow. And after that, he asked me to be one of his pieces, Adam's Passion. Adam's Passion was back 2015 in Estonia, Tallinn. I went there for 20 days, and in 20 days, the piece was ready. So everything was ready in his head, lights, stage, props, performance, movement. I arrived there, they gave me a video with uh, Wilson's improvisation and they say, learn it. Learn it on the music. 
uh, it was a live live music by the way uh, I was lucky enough to be on stage with Lucinda Childs and a live legend of yeah and uh, he said look Michalis we, we had we had a, a huge stage with a very long catwalk going through the audience. It was about 25 meters, 30, 30 meters, something like that. And he said, look, Michalis, I have, it's, 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 a, it's a piece that it, it lasts for 12, 13 minutes, something like that. And he said, I want to start from second zero and arrive at the end of the catwalk non-stop but you have to manage to arrive there at the very end of the track he didn't show me how nobody taught me in school how I had so much muscle pain on my body because I had to struggle and find a way to cover 25 meters in 12 minutes in a fluent movement of my body, plus some extra hand gestures that Bob showed me to do, and always without being allowed to make a pose. After the fifth rehearsal, I was so excited because I was failing the previous rehearsals. And I was, shit, I'm two minutes earlier. Shit, I'm late. Shit, I'm, I can't do it here. So I found personal way to make it happen first of all and be very precise every each time so I want to position to correct the the maestro let's say I'm not allowed to correct any maestro but inside me I was correcting the maestro that the violin was faster or slower sometimes um, so yeah, long story short, nobody taught me on 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 in any school how to walk really slow, how to to look that I'm still but I'm not still, uh, and how to sweat without even moving uh, with Dimitris. Uh, physical theater, let's say. Uh, nobody teach you in any school how to face the audience. Uh, how to take off your jacket. How to... How to... Pe how to be present on stage without over trying, without uh, overexpose yourself. Look at me. Uh, nobody taught me on on in in school how to how to say that. Uh, lift up your head. Look at the audience for two seconds. Take your look away, and this can be emotional moment. 
so let's say the timing on stage. Timing and spacing. How to not, how to create empty spaces, not to fill up empty spaces. I'm making clear myself, not, but how to create empty spaces. Uh, first of all, uh, by yourself, your body, uh, and then with your callings or stage or any prop. I mean, it's not, it should not be a freedom to stand whenever you want or where, whenever, where, uh, anywhere you think you can stand because it might cover a line from the set. You should be aware what's your, uh, what's the space around you and what's happening around you. Dimitris taught me to look without looking, for example. Dimitris taught me uh, to be aware what's happening without even following a music cue, uh, but with the sounds that they're creating on space, on stage, through my colleagues' actions, or taught me to look, uh, taught me to, to, to use or learn how to use my peripheric uh, vision without turning my eye to have a look. It's, it's this blurry view that you don't see, but you're 100% sure what's happening around you or behind you. So no one taught me on, on, in any school how to do that. In schools, they, they're very good to teach you how to uh, sweat, run, jump, roll, uh, non-stop dancing, non-stop moving, but uh, which they're all really useful, really, really useful. But to start moving and start running, you should start from stillness. You should, there is a cru crucial, really thin line between 100% and zero. Uh, how you start running. Ah, Bob Wilson, he said once, uh, it was a nice compliment. Um, I'm shy to share that, but I will say it's a good example. He said, at this moment, I want you to be like a wild animal right before attacks for its prey. So it's a zero point and you have to go to 100% with nobody noticing. Is that okay? That makes total sense. And I would like to jump a little bit more into you as a director, because as you said, there is always something that you are learning through that experience, being on a stage, uh, uh, working with these amazing legends. And I don't know if you know this, but it's an example that I always put in the two pounds coin in the UK There is in the edge of the coin, he said, in the shoulders, standing on the shoulders of giants. 
or only in the soldiers of giants. Uh, so meaning that uh, Bob uh, and Demetrius, they are those giants in the dance world that by us standing on their shoulders, we can see a tiny bit farther. So I would like to to know what is uh, what are you lo- what are you seeing by standing on their shoulders, by the things that you've learned from them, by the things that you've experienced with them over the years. Now, as a director, as a choreographer, as a teacher as well, what are the things that you normally encounter the most that you want to pass to the to, to the dancers that you're working with or the things that you feel that they are lacking that you try to to help them with? So two questions. What are the things that you are interested in passing? What are the things that you feel generally that is lacking and then you try to pass them because you feel that is very, very necessary? Yes. I have really strong references to these two guys because since 2011 I'm working with these two non-stop. So 10 years working with two specific directors with their very own unique uh, work. Wanted or not, somehow you adopt these references and it comes by itself in a studio, which it will take years for me to take it out. I, I can face it. I'm, I'm doing things which someone could easily say, ah, yeah, he's copying. He's copying. I, 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 I'm not copying, but it's not easy to take it out from you. It's, it takes time. It's part of you now. Yes. So I can imagine even these two guys before they become who who they are, they had someone as a reference and it took them years to find their own path, find their own identity. Anyway, as as a choreographer, let's say, um, I'm I'm working very, uh, I'm, I'm kind of visual, let's say. I will find, and I have a big problem with dramaturgy, huge problem with dramaturgy. So let's say um, I will find few images that I'm really interested, I really like, and uh, with few connections between them, of course, they have to be similar in a way that they can stand under the same content. Um, And then I will go in a studio and I will say, okay, create this for me how you can do that. And not just to reproduct the thing, but find me a way what's happening before and what's after that. Uh, I will leave them improvise a lot. Give me the uh, most best example that they think they can give me. And then I will work on that, um, because when you when you as a perfor- as a performer, let's say, when you present something, and you think uh, that's the best I can give now, there are more that you can give, uh, but you have no clue. Uh, I like to work a lot with props, with objects. I like to work a lot with uh, costumes, weird weird costumes or masks. Uh, And I like to create 
not not creatures, but performers with no real identity uh, face-wise. I mean, I like to use masks all the time. So what I will ask from, from one of my dancers, if we go in the studio, uh, I'm not really into dance dance. Uh, I know they can do it. If I need it, I will ask it. Uh, I will ask for sure. Uh, usually, the rehearsal starts with an improvisation, asking, do your most silly or your most weird or your most uh, unusual movement that you think you can do. That's a way to see their body possibilities, the movement possibilities, what a body can do. Uh, and then I'm taking this and uh, I will stretch it. I will stretch the dancer. I will push the dancer to see their limits because working with someone is not just the physical action, but is the personality as well. I want to see how far I can go with this person. Not bullying in a bullying way, but uh, how strict I can be with you without losing your inspiration or your creativity. Would you be able to remember any specific process with you as a director in which you can tell us a little bit how you did that, uh, that pushing the limit? So I asked this person this in particular. Can you remember something concrete that happened already? <clears throat> uh, pushing the limits. Yeah, no, not really. But for example, Reveri is the last creation uh, I did with the... Uh, with a colleague, George Tegu, back in London. Um, and we had rehearsals and one of the guys was wearing a mask. You were not really able to see through the mask. And I asked him, I want you to go very precisely from here to there uh, in that timeline. And he said, but I cannot see. And I asked him, find a way. But not as a bitch, but I'm sure that If I can do it, you can do it as well. Because sometimes before I ask to my performance something like that, I will try by myself first to see if it's possible or not. Uh, I will put the mask with no holes and I will try to cover that space to see if I'm able to do it. If I'm able to do it, you are able to do it. And if you think that I, you have less experience than me, That's why I'm here from outside, not because I have more experience, but to guide you because I've passed it already. Uh, and not because I think I'm better than you. What I'm saying, if I can do it, you can do it, is because we're exactly the same. Uh, you can walk slow, you can walk blindfolded, you can walk... Uh, fast and you can do this path in this very precise time and space on that music for example and the guy was struggling because he was holding two portable lights as well and I asked him look I know you cannot see but I want you to let this one and that one 
at the very this point. And he said, but how? I cannot see. And at the beginning, I was saying, you have to find a way. And then once I saw that he needed some help, he was struggling. Uh, I, I asked him, OK, take off your mask, hold the lights, show me where you have to point. He did. And then I say, OK, lock your wrist. How, how, how it is holding the light now so to let if it's turned or turned like that, lock that and through body memory, you should be able to do it without looking. And he did. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not really a bitch. I'm not an asshole. I can be an asshole, but I'm not. Uh, if I see that someone has potentials to be really good and do something really good, I will, I will really uh, trigger you. I will really push you to your limits. I'm not going to make you cry. <laughs> or I can be your best friend, but inside the studio, I'm trying to separate these two things, personal and professional. Uh, yeah, and I guess that sometimes that idea of finding the solution—that's where the the true magic of performing arts comes. Because you might find a way of solving that possibility, but another dance find another one, and that's what it makes the performance unique by the performers that you are working with. It's a collaboration. It's a collaboration. I might I might struggle to find a transition, let's say, or whatever, and I will say to one of the dancers, okay. Let's let's roughly and with the most funny way jump from one scene to the other, but pretend that it's a performance. And they do something incredible, and they say, "Why he didn't fuck propose this to me, or why I didn't fuck thought about that before?" And they're laughing because they think it was just a joke. No, it's not a joke. Sometimes the the natural way jumping from one to the other is the most is the most natural way. I mean. The group wisdom as well. You can go farther with many, many different ideas. So this is a little bit how you work as a director choreographer. Can you tell us a tiny bit more how you work as a teacher? What is a little bit in more concrete ways? What is the the structure of the class, if there is a structure? And can you share with us a couple of exercises that you've shared in the past when you are in the studio? Yeah. as uh, When I give... Uh, first of all, I'm not a regular based teacher anywhere. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that. I prefer to give workshops. Uh, always when I arrive to a workshop space, I'm, I'm carrying a suitcase with me with uh, plenty of props and objects or masks or costumes or whatever. Uh, I, do, I do like work with objects. So I open that suitcase and I say to them, uh, choose. Um, so one part of workshops is working with these objects and see the storytelling through an object that they never saw before. And they choose like that, like a, a kid in a candy store, a candy store, it goes and it, it chooses the most shine or the bigger or the, yeah. But you, you don't know that the biggest object is not the, most easy handling object sometimes. Anyway, 
then another thing is, uh, yeah, I like to work on, on how a person moves on space. For example, I give a path and I say, you go from here, there, you come back, backwards, sideways, whatever. Never in a dancey way, like an, an, a normal and natural walk. Um, and the, in between this path, I ask them to do, for example, a pose. Choose to do a pose here and look on your right. That's the only task. That's the only choreography that could be in that exercise. Pose and look on your right. And then through that this exercise, for example, you, you see sometimes how uncomfortable they feel when they have to pose and expose themselves without doing nothing and how fast they turn their head and come back so to get away from that. Sometimes I'm, I'm asking, for example, take the chair, the example I said before, take the chair, from standing position to a final sitting position, you have to spend five minutes. Non-stop, yeah, and the opposite, from sitting to standing. Yeah, they are kind of unorthodox, my workshops. They, they, I don't have a real structure, what I was about to do. I'm, I'm going with three, four, let's say, exercises. I'm going with my suitcase. And then the next days, I go with the flow uh, by seeing what, what the bodies I have, what the people I have in my studio, they need, or with improvisational exercises under that uh, thing, the, the next days. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a structure. Oh my God, I'm 35 and I don't have a structure. <laughs> Honestly, Michal, is uh, no structure at all. This is not possible. Oh I'm going to call the church of dance and telling this guy should be out of the dance community with no structure for the classes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm very excited to to have you next week uh, teaching uh, for Tubos Vivencia because those are the things that are very, very necessary, but rarely approached. So I'm really looking forward for the people who are coming to these classes to have the opportunity to work on those things that are rarely having the time to work. And normally when you have the... Uh, the um, the necessity to work for them it's somehow a little bit too late because you are already in the professional um, experience in which you are being demanded to do that and therefore the pressure is much uh, higher rather than okay i'm in a workshop i'm in a class i'm gonna be working on on this and i have the time and the guidance uh. it's it's never too late uh, and uh, meaning that like me, nobody taught me these things I'm using now in a school. So I had to find a way by myself and with a really good yeah. mentors. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying I'm not here to teach. I don't like the word teach. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just here to share very basic and very boring exercises that you might use or might never use in their career. I mean, more than free to keep it, more than free to throw it away and say, fuck, I waste one and a half hour from my life. But you never know when it will be the moment to use them. 
and one 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 I said many times, shit, I never had someone to tell me that. I never had someone to show me how to do that. But from the other side, I feel uh, not lucky, but uh, I feel okay because I found my own way to do it. With, of course, good mentors next to me, guiding me, what's the best way for them or for me to do it. So yes, stillness and uh, actually stillness is not boring for me. Uh, Okay, big lesson I had with Dimitris through the performances. Uh, During the rehearsals for Primal Matter, uh, the duo, uh, we used to do the two of us. Uh, I was the naked one, he was the black dressed one. Uh, during the rehearsals, there is a moment uh, in the piece that I have to, he, he, he leave me there and I have to stand for three minutes alone and he goes away, he goes outside the, the stage, he goes outside the theater. And during the rehearsals, I was like, it's, it's a moment, a good moment for me to rest. I have three, four minutes, whatever. Cool, I can stand here. But when the moment came that I had to face hundreds of audience in front of me, this three, four minutes, it was an endless nightmare. And this guy, he never told me, look, it's not a break. Look, it's not an easy moment. So when the first show came and I had to stand there for three minutes, facing the audience and with nothing else happening on stage. So you know that 500 pairs of eyes are looking at you and only you. I couldn't shit my pants because I had no pants. Uh, But that was one of the biggest lessons I got standing still and facing the audience without doing nothing is not an easy task. Uh, I'm not saying that I have the guts, but you need balls to do that. Uh, Yes. Definitely. And when you were talking, I was thinking uh, how many of the things we we do in schools or in normal training that we never use, but how necessary they are, as you were saying before, you they teach you how to run, how to uh, roll, and, and how to do contractions if you do Graham at some point, and you might never use those on a stage, but learning how to do them and the training is what it makes us what we are. It continues developing a body of knowledge that you can then offer different solutions to different uh, choreographers when you work with them. And that's what I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, ha- to see what you have to offer next week that are things that, as you said, people might use them or not, but definitely are going to develop their practice. I mean, at the end of the day, we train our body, we train our tool, we sharp our knife. Uh, but then uh, it's not necessarily that we going to use all of them in our uh, career, let's say, career, okay. Uh, But uh, from the other side, it's on our hand what we want to keep using from this material that they offer us. 
So let's finish uh, with this, Michalis. I'm really looking forward to have you with us next week in your classes. But uh, just very quickly, can you tell us what is uh, waiting for you in 2021 and a little bit afterwards, where you, we can find you, your work, and, and more about you just for us to follow? What's up? <laughs> okay. First of all, what, what is waiting for me in 2021 is what if it, it was waiting for me in 2020, but I wasn't able to do that. Uh, please guys stay safe please be patient uh, the time will come anyway I'm, I'm, I'm part of a new piece as I said before of Dimitris Papayanu that we were supposed to premiere 2020 but it postponed for 2021-2022 transverse orientation um, then I'm discussing with the National Opera here in Greece to they have an online festival and they invited me to create a solo for a solo or a duo or whatever for with the dancers. Uh, and I'm, I'm invited from the Cyprus Pavilion for the Biennale, Architecture Biennale, uh, to do a, a let's say, perform, performance art for their opening days. Yeah. Uh, with Dimitris' pieces, it's quite busy because we have a lot of cities to visit. Hopefully, soon. Uh, but yes, that's the three main things I have to do, and uh, this uh, the, the, the workshop. <laughs> Well, I'm really looking forward to see you uh, in the flesh, uh, hopefully on a stage and off stage, and then we can share another uh, coffee. And uh, thank you so much once again for this conversation. Really, really exciting to to see the boring stuff that is going to happen next week. It's boring, exciting. Guys, if, you, if you're expecting to, to do backflips and uh, jump around, don't join my workshop. Um, yeah, please don't. You're going to be disappointed. Yeah. No, I think it's clear what we're going to be doing uh, with you. Uh, Michalis, once again, thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you for having me. Talk to you. Ciao, ciao. ciao.